You know, we live in a day and time when people are chasing a lot of different things. There's a whole lot of winds blowing out there, blowing this way and that way, pushing us to say church ought to be this, church ought to be that, Christians ought to look like this, Christians ought to believe that. But in the end, the Holy Spirit is shining, as Pastor Chris said last week, the spotlight on Jesus. And if we shine the spotlight on anything other than Jesus, we are amiss. We've got it wrong. And so as we go into the word this morning, it is my prayer that we will see Jesus, but we will see him as the Holy Spirit reveals him through the word of God to our eyes and to our understanding. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 16, John chapter 16. And as you turn there, I have I know she was mentioned several times, but I want to say my wife is who you ought to be thinking, because she was the one that when uh, she was two weeks from giving birth to her daughter that was home and couldn't reach me um, because I was in the wilderness. She was the one who let me go so many times. And while she did a beautiful job of raising at times our kids and partnered in hospitality, she's taught me more about hospitality than I, I could have learned anywhere else. And I thank God that I have that partner to be able to live not only the past 25, almost 26 years, but to move forward for the next 50. Right. And we'll move there together. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever entertained the thought that if Jesus were in the room with you right now, that it would change everything, that it would change your doubt to full belief? That it would remove any temptation that would possibly be there before you. Have you ever thought that? I think that's a little bit of what the disciples were feeling on the morning, on this day, when Jesus addressed them in the upper room. They were concerned. Jesus had told them that he was leaving. That he was going to go to the Father. That he was going to send a comforter. Someone to come along, uh, the Holy Spirit to come alongside them. They were concerned. And in the passage we read this morning, we find that it says they sorrowed. And you you think about that. We would think that for every one of us, if we had Jesus in the room with us and he told us he was leaving, we'd probably feel the same thing. But what's really amazing that these men, the 11 now, Judas has already left the room. These 11 had traveled with studied under, observed, watched, and and been everywhere with Jesus for the better part of three years. They knew Jesus. They knew him in ways that we, we, we can't even hardly understand because they saw him in every facet of life. They knew him and they saw how he'd been treated. And now in John 14, 15, in the first part of 16 that we heard about a couple of weeks ago, Jesus is sharing with them that they're going to face the same kind of persecution, but have to live out the same mission that he's been on those three years. And he's telling them that he's leaving them to do this. That's crazy. That would scare any of us. And yet now he's not only saying he's going to leave them, but they're better off for it. (laughs) Right. 
<laughs> right. Jesus, you face persecution. You can't even get everybody to believe in you. And now you're leaving. And somehow we're going to, it's going to be to our advantage that you're gone. Yep. That's exactly what he said. Jesus was leaving his disciples to carry forward his ministry, and he told them that it would be good for them. Kids, you've heard that, haven't you? Oh, it'll be good for you. It's going to be for your best, right? I love you, right? It's going to be, it's going to be even better. You're going to be a better person, better man, better woman because of this. Coaches use that same kind of stuff. Jesus wasn't playing some sort of motivational speech. Jesus was telling the spot-on truth because he understood where he was going and what he was, whom he was sending. He had told them already that they would do greater works. He said he had chosen them and appointed them to go and bear fruit that would abide. How could this be true? What Jesus himself did not complete in three years of public ministry, how could they do it? Without his ongoing teaching, without his support, without his correction, and without his leadership. At some point, though at this point I don't think they were ready to ask this question. At some point, these guys were going to ask, seriously, you're asking us to do what you, in a sense, didn't finish. But that's only because they didn't understand He'd told them that he'd gone to prepare a place for them, chapter 14. He was going to prepare a place for them with the Father. He was going to send the Holy Spirit to enable them to do greater works. That they would have a, the Holy Spirit would impart a richer knowledge. And they were going to have the indwelling Holy Spirit, far different from the Old Testament when the Spirit would come upon someone to motivate them and empower them to do a job. Right now, the Holy Spirit was going to indwell them and empower them to do these works that he would called them to. That's all been told to them already in chapter 14. They're still sorrowing now. And Jesus says to them that in verse five, he says, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Now, you say, just a minute. They already did. Yes, they had, but they've stopped. And now they're sorrowing, which shows that they don't quite really understand where he's going, or at least they don't understand the importance of where he's going. Christians through the ages have thought just like you and I have, that if Jesus were here, it would change everything. It just, if he were to sit down in my office with me, I think I'd really get it. It would transform how I live my life, how I treat my wife, how I raise my kids, how I work in the church. It would just change everything. Our worship would be, if Jesus were here this morning, our worship would be amazing. You know what? You might argue that the worship would be less amazing. It didn't change it then. Why do we think it would be better? Why do we think it would be better? Because Jesus says quite the Quite the opposite. R.C. Sproul gives us a very helpful illustration. Imagine that you're part of a presidential campaign and it's election night. After months of getting out that candidate's message and traveling around the country, your candidate has won. The streamers have fallen, the crowd is ecstatic, and everyone is thoroughly enjoying the moment. The candidate steps up to give his victory speech and here's how it goes. Hey, this is great. Let's stay right here. 
I'm not going to Washington, D.C. This celebration is so fun. I'm never going to Washington, D.C. Think what his supporters would say. Buddy, you get off from behind that podium and you get your tail going to Washington, D.C. There's work to be done. And it's work that can only be done there. You see, when Jesus ascended to heaven, he had a work to do. There was a, a throne to ascend. The right, he was to sit at the right hand of God, interceding for us, pleading for us, ruling and reigning from on high. And it was not a work to be done on earth. And that's why he said, if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. That was his job, to go and to send the Holy Spirit. The problem is, is that we're not Trinitarians. And here's what I mean by that. We say and we sing that we believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we don't really. We're Unitarians for the most part. We really only want Jesus. And you say, wow, well, yeah. Folks, it's the Trinity at work, right? And we, the Holy Spirit's job is to shine the light of the truth on Jesus. But without the Holy Spirit, we're blind. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. We have no hope of seeing Jesus. You can want Jesus all you want, but without the work of the Holy Spirit, you aren't going to have him. And so we talk a big game of what we believe, but we need to be functional Trinitarians. Believing in the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this is a significant moment for these guys. To understand that, yes, Jesus has and continues to do his work. But the ascension was essential. Because for him to stay meant that we didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling and residing within each one of us to carry out the mission and the ministry that we've been given. And left alone, we got nothing. And so, folks, this morning, it's our prayer that we will understand that God is Trinity. That it's the work of the Father to send His Son that he might die and, and then rise again and then ascend and take his throne where he is super exalted above every name. And that the Holy Spirit was then sent in order that the work and ministry of Jesus Christ might carry forward unto the ends of the earth. And that's what you see in the book of Acts, isn't it? The mission given, the Holy Spirit comes, then they go out and to the ends of the earth. But notice... They didn't go anywhere except to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came upon them. The whole, they understood by that point the essential nature of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, I think as we look at the mission and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we will be encouraged, we will be strengthened, and I hope that we'll be overcome with joy and gratefulness and confidence to move forward with the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ, both in our homes, at our work, and around the world. And so let's dig in together. There are a couple things that we want to to look at this morning, but I want to drive home this point. The disciples mourned for something they didn't understand. Jesus told them that it would be better for them if he went, but they were pretty unconvinced. He had some convincing to do. The reality is this. When we don't understand the circumstances and situations of life, often we mourn for things We mourn for things that if we more fully understood them, would actually be things to be overcome with joy. And as 
Charles Simeon stated, we often mourn for things which, if we knew the end of them, would afford us occasion for joy. Charles Simeon was a pastor in a church where he was unwanted for 12 years. He was appointed to a church, was there for 12 years. They didn't want him. They locked the doors. They burned chairs. They did everything to get rid of him. After 12 years, somehow, the work of the Spirit of God in their lives changed that, and he ended up staying there for 54 That's pretty amazing. There's a guy who understands how that something in the moment doesn't look so great, like 12 years great. And yet, in the end, he was able to rejoice and see a job well done and see it through. So Jesus made a couple of clear promises about sending the Holy Spirit to the disciples that I hope will encourage us. First of all, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. To work through his disciples to accomplish the gospel mission. That's the mission that he's been on. That's the mission that he's been living out for the past three years. And one would argue 33 years, right? That he had come to live the gospel mission. Jesus was the light of the world. He was the word made flesh. And his life and work had exposed the sinfulness of mankind. Everywhere he went... People were convicted of their religiosity, of their sinfulness, and they they would either repent or be hardened against him. That was a work he did everywhere he went. While he was leaving, he wasn't going to be there to continue that convicting work of his presence, of his words and his teaching. And so now what? You know these disciples. You think Peter's life is going to be it? You think somehow, you know, these other fellows that are about ready to leave him when he dies are the, the, the answer for convicting people of sin? Who? Look at what he says that the Holy Spirit will do. The Holy Spirit, I tell you the truth, is to your advantage, for I do not go away. If I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. And when he comes, send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Three things that he says the Holy Spirit will do in regards to convicting or convincing. Another word that is often used with the same Greek word is rebuking. Okay, so it's going to convict or convince or rebuke in regards to sin, righteousness and judgment. And it's interesting that he says, I send him to you. So somehow in and through these disciples And all disciples of Christ, this work will be carried forward, this gospel mission of concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Because just think about it. Those three words, don't they bring us to the point of the gospel? Sin. Something to be repented of because we've fallen short of the glory of God. Righteousness. Because all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And we need, in in its place, the righteousness of Christ, who became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God and judgment. Because apart from repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, we will be bound to the eternal destiny of Satan himself. We will be judged as well. And so that's the gospel. It's the mission of the gospel that the Holy Spirit has come to live out. 
And so as we, we think through these three pieces of that, we think, first of all, in regards to sin. The Holy Spirit will shine the light upon our nature. We don't see this on our own. Oh, the average person on the street will say, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm, I, everybody gets it wrong. Everybody messes up every now and then. But the Holy Spirit does more than just show you that you do wrong, that you made a mistake. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, sin against a holy God, sin against a God who is a righteous and and perfect judge. And it makes us stand before him, understanding that apart from anything else, we are condemned. And that's what the light of Christ does. And it's the Holy Spirit that will light the way through the proclamation of the gospel, through the disciples of Christ, as they proclaim Christ, words alone won't save. The Holy Spirit has to work on hearts to bring them to an understanding that they are sinners. It would have been a desperately hopeless situation for these disciples if they did not have the Holy Spirit. They would have utterly failed. Utterly failed. But with the almighty work of the Holy Spirit working in through them and in the hearts of other people as they serve as channels for the gospel, the work can go forward. And it did. It exploded. In HSC 101 this morning, our, our church orientation class, we read the passage in, in Acts chapter 2, where 3,000 souls were added to the number, where 3,000 people repented and, and were baptized and saved. Folks, that is nothing apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And that was recorded by, by men as moved by the Holy Spirit. That wasn't somebody giving inflated numbers. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, at that time, when Peter preached that Pentecost message, thousands came. Why did they come? Not because they preached something new. If you go read Peter's message, he didn't say much of anything that Jesus hadn't already said. But thousands repented. Matter of fact, they came and said, what do we do? What do we do? And they came and he said, repent and be baptized. And they were. And you know what? It was so clear, so evident that they had to step away from, from their families and their friends and, and, and follow Christ. That they were immediately rejected. And in chapter 2, we find them loving on each other, caring for each other, not in some Christian socialism, but rather because it was desperate times. It was the work of the Spirit that brought this to pass. And whomever the Holy Spirit convinces of sin, He leads them beautifully to the sweetness of Christ's all-sufficient grace and righteousness. You see, the Holy Spirit not only convicts of sin, but it convicts of sin and righteousness. Now you say, how can you be convicted of righteousness? Oh, Isaiah will tell you. Isaiah tells you in chapter 64 that it is all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's like a polluted garment. And John was fond of quoting Isaiah. He could have in this moment added that in to Jesus' message. But he simply says, the whole, Jesus says, it, conv- it will convict them of righteousness. Well, what does that mean? 
First of all, it will convict us of our empty, self-deceived righteousness, thinking we add something. We've got something. I can attend church. I can give. I can, I can serve. I can be a good boy, good girl. I can do all these things and look at my righteousness, Jesus. And the average person on the street, if they, if they have an answer at all, will be something like this. Do you think you'll go to heaven? Yeah, I, I think I will. Well, why do you think that? Well, I'm a pretty, I'm pretty good. I, you know, compared to others, I, I, I think my, my good deeds will stack up. And, and I think God's so gracious, he'll let me into his heaven. Well, but no. Everything you've ever done, apart from Christ, is filthy rags. It's worthless. It's to be thrown away. So first, the Holy Spirit convinces us of that. That, there's, that not only am I a sinner, but now I'm a sinner who has nothing to offer to God in, in payment for my sin. But there's more. He convinces us. He convicts us that this one whom this world was going to condemn to death and hang on a cross and say he's a criminal, he's unrighteous, he is worthless. He says, but I go to the Father. Did you catch that? Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. You won't see his righteousness, but you also, he goes to the Father and is accepted by the Father. And it's as though the Father says, you guys, the world, you convicted my son. You said he was unrighteous. Well, I'll tell you what. He's righteous. I declare him supremely righteous. And I want him at my right hand, ruling and reigning over all. And the Holy Spirit not only convicts us of our sin and convicts us of our of our unrighteousness, our filthy rags, that convicts us, convinces us that Jesus Christ is supremely righteous and that in him we can have the righteousness of God and we can be seen by God as righteous because apart from him we've got nothing. So this morning, our prayer is that each one of us will see our sin for what it is, that we'll see our False righteousness, our worthless righteousness for what it is. And see the righteousness of Christ as supremely precious. Our righteousness is empty. His righteousness is the all-precious thing. The only thing by which we can have peace with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And finally, in regards to judgment. And it's to convict us, to convince us that we face judgment. You see, Satan is doomed. And Jesus says here in this, in regards to judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Not will be judged. The ruler is judged. He has been found wanting. He is, he is condemned already. This is before Jesus even died. This is before he's risen from the dead. This is before he's ascended. He said, this ruler is judged. And your judgment, your destiny is as certain as Satan's apart from belief and faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. The the Holy Spirit is convincing men and women and boys and girls through the ages that every person's destiny, apart from repentance and faith, is bound up with Satan's doom. It's as certain as his doom. Folks, that's, that's a powerful thing. And those are the things that we need to understand in order to know that, first of all, I'm a sinner. 
that my righteousness is filthy rags. I can't bring anything to the table. But Jesus died on the cross after living a perfectly righteous life that I might be given His righteousness as He took on Himself my sin. Because apart from Him, I'm facing the judgment of God. But He spared me that wrath in His grace and in His mercy. He offers Christ. And the Holy Spirit says, See, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He's holy. You're a sinner. Look at Jesus. He's righteous and you're not. Look at Jesus because apart from Him, you're facing judgment. And that, my friend, is the work that the Holy Spirit came to do. And that's a work that could not be done by mere mortals. I can't convince anyone of those things. I can tell them. I can, I guess, if I was convinced. But why would I? It's just facts on a page. It's just stuff. But the beautiful thing is that these men, who soon were going to realize just how sinful they were, there's going to be one who, who denies Jesus. There's, most of them are going to run away and hide. They're going to doubt and need to be, you know, show me your side and let me touch your hands. These guys aren't spiritual giants. They're men. <laughs> Women are like, yeah, that's a problem. They're mere men. They're mere men. And it's great to know that the Holy Spirit is going to work to carry out the mission. But there's another part of this that is oh so beautiful. That He's not going to just use us to bring others to Christ, but He's going to mature us in Christ. He's not going to leave Peter to be Peter. He's not going to leave Stephen Schultz to be Stephen Schultz. He's not going to leave you to be you. He is going to do the work of gospel maturity. Because the gospel is good to save and the gospel is good to sanctify. The gospel is what grows us up as we by faith trust the good news day by day that He is my Savior. He has saved me. He has forgiven me. He has adopted me. He has given me the benefits of heaven. I can go forward with today, not because I am worthy, not because I've arrived, but because he's arrived on the gates of heaven and sits on the throne and he's sent his spirit to minister in my heart to say, grow up, Steve, grow up, grow up to be the man that I've called you to be in the beautiful scriptures of my word. Friends, he wants you to grow up. But He wants you to grow up so that you can give glory to God. And that is exactly what He says the Holy Spirit is going to do. It's really cool. Let's look at this. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to work in His disciples to transform them to gospel maturity. You see, God has given us three things to bring us to maturity in Christ. He's given us the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, mature, equipped for every good work. He's given us the Word of God. He's also given us the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13-14 says, In Him you also. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So he's given us, first of all, the word of God, and he's given us the indwelling Holy Spirit who seals us, who confirms us so that we are confident 
that what has started now is going to be finished in that day. And he's given us the body of Christ, something we sometimes forget to note. He's given us the body of Christ to help us mature. We were not created to dwell out there independently on our own apart from the church. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This isn't a a scripture to individuals. If you read Ephesians chapter 4, it's to the body, right? We are to grow up into him who is the head. And now listen to it, thinking that. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, we'll come back to that, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, it's not only essential that the Holy Spirit somehow indwell the church in some mystical way over the whole church. This is the Holy Spirit working in individual parts. So each part, each person does his or her part that we together might grow up into him who's head. Do you know that the only way that all of us can grow up into the full maturity of what we are to be in Christ is if each one of us does our part? That's a rebuking kind of thing. In other words, if if you don't do your part, I'm not going to grow up to be the man. As I read it, as, as part of this body, I'm not going to grow up. To be the, the man that God wants me to be apart from you, you doing your part and me doing my part. I don't know how else to read that when it says when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's a whole lot of accountability for each one of us. You see, we, get, we, are, we don't have the permission when the Holy Spirit indwells us. He doesn't want us sitting on the sidelines. And God gave, just like the Word of God is essential, the Holy Spirit is essential, the body of Christ is essential. But He sent the Holy Spirit specifically to guide us into, He says here in John 16, to guide us into all truth. He didn't send the Holy Spirit to just simply guide us, but to guide us into all truth. You see, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Holy Spirit's only going to guide us into Jesus. So the point of that is this. The Holy Spirit's not coming to give you some new gospel, right? Some cults and some religions, world religions, will lead you to believe that there's a new revelation. There's something new. There's something better. No, the Holy Spirit will never, ever, ever do that. And if, you, if we're called to test the spirits, that is one thing you can be sure of. That if it is leading you to exalt someone or something else than Jesus, then, then it's not the Holy Spirit. Okay? And don't you dare excuse your sinfulness or me excuse my sinfulness by saying, well, the Spirit led me to do it. No, He didn't. You're deceived and you're a liar. I mean, there's no other way to put it. The Holy Spirit will not lead us to sin, will not lead us to violate the Word of God will not lead us to away from Christ, won't lead us towards health, wealth, and prosperity, but he'll lead us towards the wealth of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the prosperity that is Christ, not is money that's found in him. He is that, that prosperity. And that will never be poor. But if it leads us apart from Christ, then it's not the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples, I, the Holy Spirit is going to come and teach you all things whereby I've taught you. But he wasn't only going to teach just the exact facts that Jesus had already taught them. Okay? We're going to see in a little bit, he says that you cannot bear to learn all everything. There's more that's to come. But he put down the groundwork. 
the Holy Spirit comes and inspires men of God to, to carry out the, the recording of the rest of Scripture so that then it fleshes out what is about to come for these disciples. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the beginnings and spread of the Holy Church of God. Right? That is the work. That is the work. So, as we think in terms of how does he guide us, in John 16, 12 through 13, it's, it's made very clear. Read that, look at that with me. Because it's sort of a, a, we can throw it away right in the middle of all this, but it's significant for what's about to come. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Now, there's a couple of things that that could be, in just in fairness. Some will say, well, that's when Jesus arose and he came back and spent that time with his disciples. That's when he spent that time teaching them. And I I would say that's certainly part of it. But in the context of this, you have to say that it has to have something to do with the Spirit. Because look how the very next verse goes. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will affirm this. And young people... If you think that by, that it's just a matter of attending church and that you've done Sunday school and you've done, you know, this youth thing and that youth thing, and it's just somehow something you're going through and you come out saying, I tried the church thing, I tried the Jesus thing, and it's really not working for me. It's very likely you're not saved. Because you understand the Holy Spirit is committed to finish the work that he started in you. If he saves you, he will sanctify you. And if you are just sort of put off with this whole Bible thing, the church thing, then young person, look clearly at your heart and at your soul. Pray that God will help you see the truth. If you're just put out, then folks, you need to look at the truth. And that's not just for young people, that's for adults too. May God, through his Holy Spirit, help us to see the whole truth. And to understand that it's far more, far more than just some system of belief. Sorry, I got off, got my pages off here. <laughs> there we go. We're, we're getting there. Okay. Um, so as we think through... How does the Holy Spirit do this? He does it through several different ways. And, and the, the three things that we have listed before you, I can't say are an all-inclusive list, but I think they help us understand how the Holy Spirit works in us. First of all, can dead men see? No. So first of all, in order to see the truth of Christ, we must have life. And that's the first thing the Holy Spirit does, is he gives us spiritual life that we might receive the truth. Now, once we're alive, we are alive in Christ and we have spiritual sight, but we may not understand every single thing that we read in the pages of God's Word. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit illuminates. The work of illumination is how the Spirit gives spiritual sight that we might understand and believe. 1 Corinthians 2.12 makes it clear that the natural man does not not understand or accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, that's the last verse of that passage. We're dead, we can't understand. So what does the Spirit do? Verse 12, 
We have received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, and we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So regeneration brings us alive. We are no longer a natural man. We're made alive in Christ. Then the Holy Spirit illuminates and helps us understand the truths of his word. And then third, affirmation. And you're like, what's this affirmation thing? Is it you know, nice words to, to, to us? In a sense, it is. In John, 1 John 3.24, it says this, Whoever keeps his, God's commands, abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. By the Spirit whom He has given us. The Holy Spirit lives within us, given by God, and affirms us as children of God. He says, you are who I say you are as a believer in Christ. You are adopted. You have the benefits, Ephesians chapter 1, all the benefits of God. And you are declared righteous. I don't feel righteous when I wake up in the morning. I don't feel righteous throughout the day. But the Holy Spirit reminds me it's not about your work. It's about the work that God has done in you that you're depending on. And you can rest and have peace. Because, yes, you are a sinner, but you're a redeemed sinner who's been forgiven. You have been overwhelmed by the grace of God. God's riches at the expense of Christ's expense. That's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Thanks to Jerry Bridges for that. I didn't come up with that. God's riches at Christ's expense is grace. And that's what I can be reminded of every single day. That the Holy Spirit reminds me of those truths. You see, to illustrate as we come down to this, this closing portion, how do we try to illustrate the work of the Holy Spirit? And this will be a faulty illustration because any illustration that we use on this earth to try to illustrate the work of the Holy Spirit is not going to be accurate. Okay, so forgive me in advance, but I'm trying to help all of us come to a better understanding of it. Most of you know that I truly enjoy wilderness trips. Living in the woods and hiking can be amazing when you know where you're at. Okay, you see... There's a beautiful thing, though, that's been invented that works off of satellites most of the time called a GPS. And it's not just for your car. You can actually get them that work all or most all around the world. I say most because the minute you start depending on it, you get lost. But the Holy Spirit will, will never lose you. You'll never, you'll never get lost with the Holy Spirit. But just stick with me. If you just have a good map... It's easy to get turned around, okay? You may not, that point looks like this point on the map, but you're not sure. And, oh, this lake is, the, we're not sure which lake it is. And, uh, and so the beauty of having a GPS is as you're going, you can track. And you say, well, okay, whoa, I'm, I'm no longer, I, I was trying to go this way, but this thing shows me I'm going here. And I get, I, I repent. And I get back, it convinces me that I'm off track, that the truth, the true path is over here, and I get back on track. It's not based on my feelings. Well, I don't feel, I don't feel off. You know, I feel like that's north. That is so north, okay? Um, no, that, that's, that's east, honey. Um, that's, that, that's north. 
sort of, okay? But, it, but the Holy Spirit works to convince us that we are off track, and it, it teaches us, brings to remembrance God's Word, and says this is the true path, and therefore it keeps us on track. And so that's how I see the GPS of of God working in our hearts, but it does so much more. Not only does it convince us of that, of wrong and right, but it, it empowers us then to take each and every step. He's the fuel that provides the go. Okay? And so the Holy Spirit is desperately needed. And the problem is most of us live 90% of our lives or more. Forget the number. Majority of us live too much of our lives. Depending on our own strength, our own wisdom, and our own emotions, our own understanding, when we desperately, desperately, desperately need God's Word used by His Spirit in our hearts and minds. Because when we have that, the Holy Spirit does this. This is where He leads us. He leads us into personal fellowship with Jesus. He leads us into personal fellowship with Jesus. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit takes what seems distant with Christ on high in heaven and brings it near, unbelievably near, brings it within us. And out of that fellowship, then we bear spiritual fruit when we abide in Christ. We grow up as we walk with Jesus. But apart from the Spirit's work, we're not able to even abide and continue in that, that continual fellowship with Jesus. And then second of all, personal transformation into the, of, of character into the likeness of Jesus. The maturing Christ-likeness in our lives, empowered by the work of the Spirit, brings God-glorifying results. As people see Jesus in us, it points others to Jesus. And, that's, and the Holy Spirit says, Amen. Amen. Because He wants Jesus to be seen in us and through us that the gospel mission might go forward and the gospel ministry in our hearts might be fulfilled. That we might grow up into Christ and be, He be glorified. And Paul accentuated this truth in Philippians 1.6 and he said, I'm sure of this, that He who began the good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And finally, the personal affirmation that we've talked about already. That personal daily affirmation of our relationship with Christ and its glorious benefits. You see, those three things can get us through a whole lot of hard times, but most importantly, those three things bring great glory to the name of Jesus as His children walk with Him, as His children look like Him, and as His children are confident in Him. That affirmation, again, goes back to His promises. So what does the Holy Spirit accomplish? Through the productive work of the gospel in the world and the effective work of sanctification in our lives, the glory of Jesus' name. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, they were concerned about losing Jesus. Jesus assures them nothing's going to change. My name will be glorified, and he, in the next passage, has every resource of heaven to make it happen. What does he have? Jesus says everything that's mine. And everything that the Father has is mine, so the Holy Spirit has everything that's ours. You guys are set. You've got the Holy Spirit now residing in you before you just had me with you. Does the Holy Spirit reside within you this morning? 
If you're redeemed, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, then he does. And if he does, then he, has, he is there in order to carry out the gospel mission of bringing salvation to the lost. And he's there to carry out the gospel ministry of your transformation by grace in, in, to the end of your lives, to the glory of God. How should we respond to that? Thankfulness. Thankfulness for the gift of the promised Holy Spirit. Joy. Joy at being made channels of the work of the Holy Spirit. He said, I send him to you. To whom? To believers. I send him to you. What joy? Are you, are you kidding me? I can be part of the eternal work of salvation as a channel of the gospel? That's amazing. Then confidence in the convincing work of the all-powerful Holy Spirit. And then finally, dependence on the maturing work of the all-wise Holy Spirit. On those days when you have failed so miserably and you know yourself to be the greatest sinner on earth, to know that the Holy Spirit comforts and says, yes, but, yes, but Christ. Christ has paid. Christ has has not only paid for you and your sin, but he has sent me to indwell you that you don't have to stay where you are. Folks, the Holy Spirit should cause us to be overwhelmed with worship. Our worship should never be lackadaisical because think about this. If the worship in me, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is somehow... eh, I'm not going to sing. I don't know this song. I don't like this song. I don't like the Holy Spirit within us. You imagine how we're grieving the Holy Spirit? That's Jesus we're talking about. Open your mouth. I I don't sing very well. Are you kidding me? That's Jesus we're talking about. Oh, but I don't really like this style. That's Jesus we're talking about. Folks, let us worship in spirit and in truth because we are indwelt by the Spirit of God and we are to worship the one that he's put the spotlight on. And as we close this morning, I pray that we'll do just that. Gracious Father, may you be exalted. Dear Son, thank you. Thank you that you died for our sins. That you rose again conquering death and that you ascended on high, that you rule and reign, that you intercede on our behalf. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you were as the sent one came and indwelt our hearts that we might not be dead in our trespasses and sins, but that we might be made alive in Christ and that you instruct us that we might know Christ more fully and exalt him more gloriously throughout our lives. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen.